I have a few announcements to share with you. Of course, this evening we will not have our regular services. We'll have our soup and salad worship meal together. And looking forward to that time. I reflected back on the last two weeks and realized that I was a little remiss because the first message of this series, I told you I would bring you evidences of Christ's near coming with each one, and I only did it with the first one, and then I neglected to do that with the second and third one. None of you hold me to account on that, um, but I was checking some notes and things and realized that I didn't do that. So this morning I am going to do that because the foundation of these of this series that's going to be extended to the end of the chapter of First Peter 4 is the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, and if we really believe that the end of all things is at hand, then the therefore becomes very, very important. And while every generation of Christians since the ascension of Christ have anticipated Christ's return in their lifetime and desired after it, they could not do what we do and go to scriptures and say, this is done. They could not do that. Um, certainly not in Peter's day, because Peter was still alive. Jerusalem had not been destroyed. Uh, and uh, certainly as they went through and saw those things happen, they could say, well, those things are done. Um, most of the time, out of our desire for the Lord to come in our lifetime, we would take scriptures and try to uh, manipulate them to make them fit what we see around us. And so we had to take things that were obviously said about the whole earth and localize them to maybe one nation or one region to fit um, so that we could say, well, this is evidence the Lord's going to come. And I've been hearing that all my life, and you probably have been too. Uh, we, we've had some prophecy teachers that, that that was their bread and butter. That's what they made money off of, off of books. And so we were all sure that it was communism that was going to be the, the, the great Gog and Magog out of Russia. That was during the Cold War. Then we were sure that it was oil that was going to be the precipitating thing, uh, and and wrote books about it, sold a lot of books. We were all sure it was the Arabs, and then we had that exacerbated by all the things that happened 20 years ago. And um, why? Why all that activity? Um, out of a sincere desire for Christ's coming. And so they manipulated God's word to see their, in the circumstances of their situation um, to fit those as criteria for Christ's coming. We're not really doing that anymore. Um, for example, the birth of Israel as a nation, there is no prophecy that says Israel will be, that it's the generation that sees Israel come into being a nation. Uh, that doesn't exist, although there's a lot of prophetic fervor over Israel becoming a nation back in the 40s. Uh, that was a huge thing. Um, but that wasn't what the prophecy said. What the prophecy said was that when Israel overflows her borders, that that generation, well, Israel didn't start really overflowing her borders and was not recognized as a nation um, by several key entities until the 90s. And then we started hearing about settlements and, and conflicts over the settlements. And that's really only been the last 
uh, 30, 40 years, 30 years really, that 35, that we've seen that being the, the situation the, uh, which prompts much of the conflict going on uh, in Israel even to this day. And certainly the, the necessity of Israel to become a nation was there, but the statement was Israel overflow borders, and we're seeing that, and we have been seeing that. And again, we say that generation, well, that generation is my generation. We've seen that. We have seen the conflict over the settlements of Israel uh, over, and the necessity of Israel having borders and then to overflow those borders uh, and to be able to be a part of that recognizing that Israel's original borders uh, ended at Jerusalem and now have extended to the Jordan River. And that's a key distinction to make of that at least one or two countries have acknowledged, <laughs> not the United States being one of them. And so when we look at this, we, we want to be careful. And uh, one of the things that the Bible, the Revelation specifically speaks about of a great deception that will happen against all nations. And that deception is based upon the work not of the nations themselves, but of a secondary entity. And that entity in Scripture uh, uses one particular mechanism to deceive the nations. And I'm really going to go to only one of those verses, because I have a whole other sermon to go on. And uh, in Revelation chapter 18, verse 23... Really just the last sentence of this verse. Uh, and this is speaking regarding the fall of Babylon. Babylon being mystery, harlot, uh, the woman, the rise of the beast, the beast representing the nations. In verse 23, it says, The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of a bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. Uh, for your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And it talks about this term sorcery. And Revelation uses a very different word for this than the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, they use a Greek word that we would translate magic. In fact, it actually starts off with M-A-G, uh, magia. And here we have a very different word for the word sorcery. It's used four times in the book of Revelation, uh, generally in reference to the activity of, of this woman that rides the beast, whether in Romans or I'm sorry, in Revelation 9 and following, this word for sorcery is where we get the word, the same Greek root. Uh, in fact, um, you know it as pharmacia. That is the word, translates sorcery here, is the maker of potions. Uh, literally is what it means in Greek. And that is by sorcery, by the making of potions, they deceive the nations that all the nations are going to bow down and they are going to be manipulated by the pharmacias. And wow, do we see that today, that every nation, every, every government entity bowing down to the quote-unquote science of the potion makers, those that formulate these, and, and that they use these to deceive the nations and to bend them to their will, but that will be ended one day when those potions fail. And that will not be in our day, for that 
those continue even into the seven years of God's wrath being poured out on the earth. It says that they did not relent from their potions, from their sorcery, from their pharmacia. They still relied on them even well into the seven years of God's wrath. That's in Revelation 9, that they didn't repent or turn from that. They persisted in that. It really wasn't until much later in the seven years that they finally recognized this was a deception on us all. And so I want to just challenge you that we don't have to manipulate this word or try to turn it into something else. Um, we have it very blatantly in front of us. We just don't know the Greek very well. And to recognize that, that through the pharmacia, and that is the Greek word here, that the nations were deceived. And that's going to come to an end. Right now we're not at that end. But I think it's significant that God's word warns us that this is the one mechanism used, to, the final mechanism used to manipulate the nations. So, the end is at hand. I don't say that to get you concerned, or I hope it gets you excited. The end is at hand. But now we recognize that these four elements of the Christian experience in life uh, need to be elevated because if the end is at hand, therefore, we ought to be in prayer more so than before. That we ought to be uh, uh, demonstrating a love for one another that covers a multitude of sins more so than ever before as we have taught two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about being a hospital for people, for one another, being hospitable, that is not only loving having guests, but loving our guests themselves, to care for their needs, like the Good Samaritan in Christ's parable. We come now to the fourth expression of our Christian faith that should not deteriorate, but should increase as we get to the end times. If, in fact, we are as Peter says, with the end of all things at hand, and certainly we see it right on the threshold. We, we see it right on the precipice of it all coming. That we are not measuring anymore in decades, and really not hardly in years, maybe just in months, that we are seeing this. We come to the fourth instruction. In verse 10, the fourth activity that the church should be involved in, we will read, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We come into this recognizing, hopefully, what he's referring to as a gift. We're not talking about the gift of God that brings salvation. We're not talking about the grace of God that sent Jesus Christ uh, to die for us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That certainly is a wonderful gift of God. That is our salvific gift. That is the, the gift we receive from God by faith when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. When we recognize I'm a sinner, he's the one who's the provided for my sin to cover it, and I accept him as my Savior and Lord, and I will be his follower. That is a wondrous gift of God that we are not neglecting. We're simply saying this is a gift that is beyond that. 
it does not supersede that. It actually emanates from it. The gift we are talking about are gifts that are given to Christians. Once you have received the gift of God, capital G if you will, the salvation through Jesus Christ, once we have received Christ as our Savior and we have become his follower, now the Bible promises the gift, the giving of the Holy Spirit. They will receive the Holy Spirit. That he will make his dwelling with us. And it is when we receive that Holy Spirit that we, uh, well, Jesus says, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and you'll receive the power. It is the power of the Christian walk. Power to do what? The power to walk in righteousness that I didn't have before. The power to understand God's word. Illumination that I did not have before. The power to, to uh, glorify God that I did not have before. But we also have the power to serve. And he fills us with these gifts. And of course we have Paul writing about extensively in, in the three passages that are usually focused in on. And, and we can certainly do that. We will do that today. Is in 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about all the members of the body. And he gives a list there. We're going to look at that. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Very simple because they're the same chapter in both books. That makes it helpful, doesn't it? Romans chapter 12, Paul again speaks about it and about each one doing their duty. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, we have some more information, all from a Pauline perspective. Peter, we know, has read the writings of Paul. He told us so. He's going to tell us so. We'll put it like that a little bit later on. So he's already had access to that. And now he's simply referencing that we have received these gifts. But lest you think that all of us have the same gift, like the salvific gift is all the same. Every one of you, male, female, Jew, Greek, bond-free, doesn't matter. All of you must receive this same gift of God of salvation. Yet, each of us, having received that gift, the expression of the Holy Spirit in us is through a variety of gifts that we have differently from one another to complement one another. And thus, what the Holy Spirit does in me is, and gifting me for ministry is going to be very different than what he has done gifting you for ministry. And so we come to this phrase here, that as each one has received a gift. And that makes it very evident that his implication is that all of you are going to not necessarily have the same. Each one of you is going to get a different gift. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, the problem was that they were saying there's only one gift that's really great and all the rest don't matter. Unless you think that was preaching, you're wrong. It was the gift of tongues, of languages, uh, that had been hijacked, if you will, uh, by an element in the church and abused. And Paul sets the record straight. And by 1 Corinthians 13, he says, listen, the gift of tongues is going to dissipate. It's going to disappear. It's going to go its way. Uh, as the church matures, it's not going to need that, um, but it's, uh, there's going to be other things that are going to persist. And so we have him trying to correct, that's a corrective passage, trying to fix a problem in the church where they had abused the concept of gifts. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 and see how he corrects this. Well, where should I start? Let's just start verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I do not want you to be ignorant. That means without knowledge. doesn't mean stupid. You can learn this. 
you know that you were Gentiles carried away with those dumb idols. <laughs> that is dumb. Mute. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another work of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And then the description of the body has many members, but one body. And so we have here a list of, and this is not a definitive list by any stretch of the imagination. He's just giving some examples, and uh, people try to have a definitive list by combining all the lists in the three passages I just mentioned, and that's inadequate. If we know that each list is just a sampling, putting together three samplings doesn't give you a definitive list. But it does give you a fuller list, but it doesn't mean it's a definitive list because none of the passages claim to be definitive. So what he's saying is that there's a diversity of gifts. That the Holy Spirit, by his power, equips believers to minister to God's glory. And there are a wide variety. Now, this church had to be corrected. The church in Corinth had to be corrected in this area. The church in Rome... Um, was instructed in this area. So let's go to Romans chapter 12. And we're just going to lay this backdrop for ourselves a little bit so we have a good concept going in. Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, having made a very definitive statement that uh, you should have put to memory if you're a believer, and is one of the passages that we try to get young people to memorize early on. I beseech you therefore, brethren, verse 1, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so we have here an underlying directive. This is the how you access the power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it is also an instruction of how to prevent the diminishing of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible warns us against that. Be careful not to um, quench him, we are told. Um, and so how do I not quench him? Well, make sure you are not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to think differently. You can't think like this world and think that you can then serve in the Spirit. You will not serve in the power of the Spirit by thinking like this world. You're going to have to transform your thinking and think as ambassadors of Christ's kingdom. And that will transform your uh, capacity. And then you can prove these things. Then you can serve God. And then he goes through. And let's read verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts 
differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we have here yet another example, a list for us to look at and understand the nature of these gifts. But what we want to understand underlying all of this is that the purpose of the gifts is not for you to help you. And the idea that you can privately exercise these gifts is very foreign to God's word. In fact, it runs in direct disobedience to God's word. Rather, that we are to use these for one another. And you cannot miss that in both 1 Corinthians 12, a corrective passage, and in Romans 12, a didactic or an instructional passage. Here's how to use your spiritual gifts. It is for each other. You're using these for each other. You have that gift not because you need it. You have that gift because we need it. And we are here to serve one another. I have the gifts you need, you have the gifts I need, and thus we are interdependent upon one another. And this is why the, the, being a part of a local church is so critical to your Christian living. It's because within the context of that body, whether large or small, um, there are people that with spiritual gifts that are the ones you need. And you should be bringing to the table ones they need, or at least one. And that it is incumbent upon us to really think, where and how am I exercising my spiritual gifts in the context of the body of Christ? How am I serving one another, each other? And we've seen this in both these passages go to Ephesians, the last one I mentioned. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, we'll pick up in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for, here's why, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried out with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Very obvious that in Paul's mind, the exercise of spiritual gifts is in the context of the needs of the body of Christ, that they are there to develop them, that they are not your private possession, they belong to the body. 
the ability of various organs of my body are not there just for their own private interests. My liver is not there just to support the liver. My liver is there to filter the whole body. Same thing with the kidneys. They are great filters. They're the filtration system, but they don't just filter themselves. They filter the whole body. My heart doesn't just pump blood for the sake of the heart. He's doing it for the whole body. My nervous system doesn't just function for the sake of itself. It functions for the whole body. And the same can be true of my feet, my hands, my, every part, every eye that is there to aid the body. My eyes just don't see for the sake of being eyes to see. They're there to help the rest of my body from running into things and tripping over things. They're there to aid the body. And so he says God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, teachers, um, for the equipping of the body. And they have a primary role, but not the exclusive role. We are equippers so that the whole body can then build each other up, edify, grow. So now we come to 1 Peter, and we find out that as we enter into the end times, there and, and the end of all things is at hand, should we be serving God less, or should we be serving God more? Well, you know the answer to that, because we have this directive for us. As the end of all things is at hand, each one's received a gift, minister it to one another. That's a command, a direct command. Minister it to one another. And then we have an instruction about the command, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Grace of God is what gave you that gift, not for your own interests and pleasures, and nor for you to neglect. He gave you that gift with the expectation that you'll exercise that, that you will employ it for the benefit of his kingdom, his body, his fellow believer, your fellow believers, his children, that you might serve them. But the fact that he calls you as good stewards means that you're going to be measured because a steward is measured. A steward is a manager. A manager isn't the owner. You're not the owner of that gift. You are the manager of it. God is the owner, and he will hold you accountable. He'll say, what have you done with it? You accepted my gift of salvation. I gave you my Holy Spirit and empowered you and gave you at least one spiritual gift. What did you do with it? I hid it. The parable says, the parable of the talents. I was afraid of you and I hid it. I was afraid I might do it wrong. So I hid it. I was afraid to get outside my comfort zone and exercise it, so I hid it. And God says, ah, oh, destroy it. Take it away from you. Destroy that person because they wasted it. You should multiply it, he says. What does that mean? It means that as I exercise my spiritual gift and others come to know Christ, others might be share that same gift and having seen me exercise it can then exercise it themselves. And now we have multiplication in the church that stops if we hide our gifts. I do not contend that there should just be one teacher per church. There should be a multiplication of that. 
that as one faithfully exercises that ministry, others recognize, and perhaps with the help, and, and I was helped. I was helped by multiple men that, because I was in college. I enrolled at Cedarville University in 19, boy, 80. 1980, um, as a chemistry major, yeah, pharmacology, I know all about that stuff. For three years, I studied that kind of stuff. But some men said, you're barking up the wrong tree. And they saw some things in me that I didn't see in me and redirected my life very gently, very, very subtly even, um, because they were waiting for God to do something too, and that's certainly necessary. Uh, and then here I am getting ready to enter my senior year of college and changing my major from a very, two very different based studies because there was no electives, there was no crossover of chemistry pre-med major to Bible comprehensive major. There just wasn't. They didn't share any classes. So I basically, other than general things, I had to basically start over with my major. But it was them that multiplied their gifts by seeing it and helping me discover it. This is how we multiply it, by exercising it and then leading others that also possess that to better exercise it. This is and so the church is doubly blessed now. It is multiplied. It is blessed by this one teacher, and now it is blessed by that teacher's influence and directive and example for other teachers. And Peter says, listen, by the grace of God, you are you, the manifold, the many-sided grace of God. You have those gifts. Exercise them. We are, the end of all things is at hand. It is not time to sit on your laurels for Christ. There's just not much time left to invest something in your eternal condition, your eternal life, to, to declare your thanksgiving. And so, as you have received a gift, minister it to one another. That's a direct command, not a suggestion, a command. Minister it. And when we refuse to do that, when we replace ministry as a priority for our life with all the other affairs of life, we are communicating to God that this isn't of any value. The gift of God is devalued. It is not worth my time and energy to, to exercise this gift. It demonstrates not only a lack of valuing what God has done in your life, it is also communicating that the others in the church are of no value to you. Because you are withholding from them something they need. God has gifted you with that for a reason. Because the church needs those gifts being exercised. And you should just thank the Lord every day that your heart hasn't chosen the way you've chosen and just started I'm only going to pump blood to myself how long will your heart survive pumping blood to itself and not to the rest of your body particularly the lungs where the <laughs> where the blood gets oxygenated oh we're interdependent yes 
But once we isolate that and say, I'm not going to exercise this, that's not a priority, it's not something I'm going to investigate, it's not something I'm going to pursue, it's not something I'm going to pour energy into and time into, um, we are communicating something about our relationship with God, which is a disastrous point at that level, uh, and our relationship with the church, that they don't matter, that God's gifts don't matter, and his command to exercise that gift doesn't matter, and that somehow we have lost track that very, very soon, because the end of all things is at hand, you will have to stand before God and explain why you didn't minister when he told you to. That, to me, is a startling concern. We all imagine, oh, I'm going to get to heaven. I hear this at Christian funerals. Oh, he's going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pretty sure that's going to be a really rare phrase when we get to heaven. Frankly. For God to say, well done, means that you didn't fail. His directive. This is his directive. Minister it to one another. The word minister is to serve. Serve it out to each other. Serve that gift out. And if it's, and he's going to categorize it in two categories of gifts we're going to talk about certainly, but the directive is so necessary before we get to the categories and which gift and all of that. We can center on that and say, I don't know what gift I have, blah, 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 and excuse ourselves for not doing anything in the church. And I've seen that extreme. So let us get as firmly planted in our mind. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, minister your gift to one another by command. Not less often, more often, it should be the highest priority of life, is that we minister our gifts to one another. Now, he's going to categorize two areas of gifts very quickly in verse 11. One is the teaching. Uh, he talks about speaking. Uh, in verse 11, if anyone speaks, let them speak as the oracles of God. And so in that category would be all of those gifts that are wrapped up in the, in the area of speaking. That would include teaching, preaching, evangelism, all those kinds of gifts that are that are the declaration, the presentation of God's word, its truth, uh, both to the saved and the unsaved, and that we are engaged in that and that we identify those. And so in Romans 12, he did the same thing. He broke it up in these, both of these categories. If you have these gifts of speaking in the speaking category, particularly of the teaching, preaching, evangelism, that uh, you exercise them. If it's to minister, that you minister. The second category is that ministry, service gifts. Not that speaking gifts aren't serving gifts too. They certainly are. Uh, but we use them as a separate category, and that is a very broad category that encompasses a lot of different things. Paul lists a couple of those for us. He talks about if it's uh, giving, do it generously. Um, if it's hospitality, you know, if it's these, you know, whatever it is, that you exercise that faithfully for the benefit of the church. And Paul, or Peter here sets it up as just simply two great categories. I'm not going to get into them extensively, 
but I want to develop them. And so he just simply lays them out there. If, if you have a speaking gift, then do it as the voice of God. That's a frightening statement for most people to hear today. One of the evidence is one of the well not evident one of the characteristics of Jesus' teaching that distinguished it from the teaching of the rabbis of the Pharisees people like that um, when people heard Jesus they walked away with this phrase he spoke with authority and people noticed that because you see all the rabbis do is quoting each other rabbis you know, according to the Mishnah, according to this, according to this, you know, and, and they, they, they didn't have authority. They didn't speak with authority. They just referenced one another and maybe this and maybe that, and there wasn't authority. From Peter's perspective, that's weak. That's evidence that you don't know, know the truth. Because if you know the truth, you are to speak as if you are the oracles, the voice, the words of God. Now, I try to distinguish very clearly between opinion and truth. And so when I tell you my opinion, I usually tell you this is my opinion. Take it or leave it. Um, but when it's the word of God and it's truth from God's word, there's authority there that you either reject or accept. You're either rejecting or accepting truth, not, well, that's your interpretation. And, and that drives me nuts when people say, well, that's just your interpretation. I said, I'm pretty sure that's what the words mean. Do you think they mean something other than what they say? I don't get it. What do you mean my interpretation of those? And so we come and we say, well, our teaching should have the authority of the words of God. Well, what is the foundation of that kind of teaching, of that kind of preaching, of that kind of evangelism? Well, the foundation of it is the Word of God. As long as I'm preaching and teaching this book, I should be able to preach and teach with complete authority. And not as some that take this verse and that verse and this verse out of context and string them together to mean something that they don't. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what the religious leaders are doing. That's what rabbis do. And I've heard some of the, I've been listening to some of the better known modern rabbis. Oh, it's pathetic. They basically have completely undermined the Torah completely, which I guess they would have to because they're not really obeying any of it. They're certainly not offering the sacrifices, right? So they spiritualize the whole thing. All the way back to the creation account. And they've torn apart. The Adam and Eve didn't really exist. They're just an allegory for us. To, and they followed Origen and his allegorical approach to the Old Testament. And, oh, what horrible things. They have no authority. They have popularity, but no authority. They have great wit, uh, they have great learning, but without the truth. Because in their great learning, they've denied the truth. We are to speak the words of God. We are not to speak our opinions, our philosophy, but they should be conformed to the word of God. And so all of our teaching is built upon, derived from, dependent upon, and points to God's word. At any level, 
pick whatever level of teaching ministry, whether it's teaching the little babies in there. That's my job during Sunday school to, you know, and we get to read the little stories and we sing the little songs and we learn how to share and how to obey and things like that. Because it's based upon God's word. From that point all the way to the adult level and the senior adult level, it's got to be God's word. Or it has no authority. It has no basis to be uh, instructional and, and full of requirement for the church. And so Peter says, if you're going to preach, if you're going to teach, you're going to evangelize, you're going to do any of these things, then I would contend that that to some degree all of you have to do that within your homes themselves, with your children particularly, that you do it based upon and referencing the Word of God. Let it be as the words of God. And you'll notice, let him speak as, uh, let him speak is really added in there for clarity. If anyone speaks as the oracles or the, very voice of God. That is with the authority of God's word. If anyone ministers, now we have the second category of the exercise of your spiritual gifts, and that is the ministry. We are to do it as with the ability which God supplies. We do it with his ability. And you have heard me teach very poignantly over and over again. Whenever we get to passages talking about spiritual gifts, that I don't give you what I was given. I was given a spiritual gift inventory test. Doesn't that sound exciting? You can take this little thing, and it'll tell you what your spiritual gifts are. And let me tell you what it will tell you, uh, what your natural gifts are. It will not tell you what your spiritual gifts are. You know why? Because you're going to answer those questions, and at the conclusion of that, it will tell you what you are comfortable doing. I will contend with you that where you are weak is where God is strong. And based upon that premise, it is where you are weak that God is glorified when you serve him. That his spiritual gifts will be outside of your natural abilities, talents. They will be supernatural abilities or talents. And when he says, minister it by the ability that you have received from God. Do it with the ability which God supplies. Which means this is not your natural ability. Now I have certain natural abilities. And I pursued those as a young man in college. I pursued those natural abilities in, in, in math and science and, and all of and numbers and all of that. I had natural ability there. I had... Very little natural ability in public speaking. So I said, I'm not pursuing that. That that's, makes me ill just thinking about doing that stuff. And it did make me ill for many years. Of Every Sunday morning, I'd be sick to my stomach. I've got to preach today. Because we don't do it in our own ability. These spiritual gifts you have to exercise in God's ability. The ability that God gives you to do it. 
It's empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by your natural inclinations. And I would contend with you that when somebody invites you into ministry that is outside of your comfort zone and then tells you that this is something that you that God can really use you in, that you listen very carefully because they're communicating to you something that you aren't seeing. And that is that these are God things going on in you beyond your comfort zone because beyond your natural ability and is the places where God will be the highest glorification in your life. Where you are weak, he will be glorified. In your weaknesses, he will use you. And thus I would contend with you that for many, we minister within the context of our natural abilities and, and we're comfortable there. And there are areas that I'm very comfortable. I, I don't even have to hardly work at it. And then, but then I realize, well, that's my natural abilities. I, my natural inclinations are there. But I am called to serve the church not only with those abilities, but with my supernatural abilities. Now, don't think I'm going to fly or something like that. Or The world is turn that upside down and I didn't get electrocuted by something with radioactivity um, or bit by a critter that was radioactive. None of that, that's blah, that's garbage, okay? When we take supernatural, we're saying God, divine power to do. And so I rely upon that and grow in that and develop that in in coordination with God's people, with his word, as we said, and with Holy Spirit. And yes, you mature. And eventually, it will be <laughs> recognized, well, this is God's working in my life. And it might feel more comfortable by them because you've exercised it for so long, but that doesn't make it any less glorifying to God. And thus, I always share my testimony with people that I get very nervous speaking in front of people. I'm a very shy person. And yet God says, you're going to do this job. And I'll say, okay, but you're going to have to help me a lot. And he has, and he will. And we glorify God. And that is the premise, and we're going to kind of move into the concept of glorifying God. Why you speak and ministering, again, is all those other avenues of serving um, that we need from one another, especially in the end times. Uh, not less of it, but more of it. And yes, you need to do it in person. Uh, you go out there and do those things that need to be done, that maybe you are the only one in the church that can really do it with divine power others can do it struggling but you have the divine gift to do it you need to do it in various ministries do it with the ability which god supplies and then here's the point here's the perspective that you do you minister as good stewards god gives you the grace God gives you the ability. God gives you the authority. God gives you the spirit to do all these things. Here's why. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen.
This becomes a major secondary theme in the balance of this chapter. Who's, who are you going to glorify? Because he's going to talk about glorifying God, glorifying Jesus Christ, glory, 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 all the rest of this chapter is going to keep popping up. And in fact, the next few sermons are going to be kind of different because Peter changes from being a list giver, boom, 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 one, two, three, four, to giving, to giving a, um, a, a intermingled uh, discussion that keeps visiting many different topics. And so we're going to move from being able to go verse by verse to having to handle a whole passage with various topics in it uh, from front to back, but all still derived from the fact that the end of all things is at hand. But one of those major themes we're going to see is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. He is what we want to have everything point to. So I'm not exercising my spiritual gifts to make me feel better or to minister to me. I'm exercising my spiritual gifts for the benefit of the body of Christ and to the glory of Jesus Christ. And therefore, I deflect any glory upon myself. If I do it in my natural ability, my tendency will be to accept glory for myself. Yeah, I didn't do that. I'm really good at that. Okay? And either because of natural capacity, ability, or by reason of experience, I'm good at that. Um, And there are some things I can just say, well, I'm just good at that. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's easy for me. It's hard for you, maybe. Math might be hard for you, but it's not for me. And there's some things that are easy for you that are hard for me. I, I, I just stare at an engine and go, yep, there it is. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I just kick it, pound it with something, because it says, I just don't. Uh, I can't figure out why anyone made anything so complicated. But to you, it's simple. Okay? natural ability, but we do natural ability things, and we focus in on those, then we get all the glory, and our mission is failed. That's why we need to focus and spend a lot of energy and time in our God-given gift of his grace to minister so that he will receive the glory, because I will say, as I have continued said, I cannot do this by my own strength, by my own capacities. I cannot do it. I will consistently fail. And that prayer at the beginning of a sermon is a genuine one. Lord, you need your help right now. And yes, and if you're not saying, if you're not going in and saying, boy, if I'm going to go do this kind of stuff with people and I'm going to minister to them and serve them like this, I don't really feel, really feel real comfortable or qualified for that. There seems like there should be some other people, but it seems like he's falling on me. I'm going to, and if you don't have a sense of a need to pray before you do it, then you're probably barking up the wrong tree. I, I have that sense of prayer. I need to pray before I do this. I need the ability that God gives for me to do it well. I can muck around in a little bit and maybe spew out something, but that's not what God wants. We want it to be done well. 
because it is by God's gift, by God's grace, God's ability, God's power, by the Spirit of God, and thus it should bring glory to God at the conclusion of it, even though it may humble me to do that. And in fact, I would contend it should humble you to do that. Because our goal is to bring glory to God because that's who it belongs to. Because I got the gift from him, I got the ability from him, I got the power to exercise that ability from him, and the opportunity within the local church to serve his body from him. He put me here in this local church to serve them. They need me. They need what God has gifted me with, I should say. And so all the glory should go to God for the privilege that we have of being the stewards, the managers of his gifts, his grace, his power, his ability, his presence. That's what you're going to answer for to God. What would you do with my grace, my gifts, the abilities that I gave you, the power to use those, the presence of the Holy Spirit? What did you do with those? Do you hide a light under a bushel? Even my Sunday school class knows the answer to that one. Do you hide a light under a bushel? No. We let it shine for God's glory and for his dominion, that is his authority, his rule, his sovereignty, is literally the word there, his, his sovereign reign over us. And this is reflected in Paul's statement in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we have submitted ourselves to him, we have given him our life, he is the sovereign king of our life, and now I'm going to serve him with my life. In every capacity, whether it be as, as provider for my family, of raising my children, of, of doing all those, but also of serving the church and being a light to the world. That in every level, I want to do this recognizing that God is my king and I'm here to serve him. And I best serve him with the gifts that he has granted to me in his grace. You do have a choice. The command is given and with every command you have a choice to obey or to disobey. Choose as you will. But know to whom you must answer for that choice. It's not me. It's not your brethren around you. It's not the lost out there. It's Jesus Christ. That one you said you would glorify God in your body with. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And we thank you for the gifts that you've given. And Lord, we see a great need for them in these days. That we don't need Christians cowering at home, withholding your grace from your people, but we need them diligently at work, in our midst, using their gifts for the benefit of your people that we might all stand fast 
that we might all grow in our knowledge of you and in our faith in you. Lord, our measure of faith needs to increase in these end times. And so we thank you that you have gifted us with the capacities, divine capacities, to provide one another with the strength, the knowledge, the faith to stand. Lord, we see the evidences of your coming. They are somewhat startling, only in that we might not yet be as prepared as we ought. So Lord, help us to fulfill these four directives that you've given to us more and more. We might recommit our lives today to their pursuit before and above any others. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.